Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. If you're wondering why the Jay, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. That joke doesn't make any sense. I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke, as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast, where we talk about faith, family, fitness, finances, and sometimes fun. Well, friends, as always, I want to say thank you so much for listening to last week's episode. I was incredibly congested. It was not easy to listen to me. I know that, so I want to say thanks. Uh, it was fun just kind of sharing with you my kid's story about getting a superior in their competition. And it's funny how quickly that changes because we went to a competition on Saturday and they got absolutely nothing. I mean, they just zeroed out. Uh, big competition, 35 bands. You know, they handled it well because they had won last week. As a parent, I want them to win. But as a parent, I'm also like, you got to have these moments. You got to have these moments where you, you get nothing. Um, so, but it went really well. Thanks everybody for the feedback. You can tell I'm feeling a little bit better, about 90% better. <clears throat> Excuse me, a little bit of congestion. But what I've been telling you guys is I've had an interview coming up that I'm incredibly excited about. I'm interviewing my friend Paul Lee. Uh, Paul presently is a financial advisor. He's got an incredible military background. Uh, or anything else, we've been friends now for about two years, meeting with a networking group here in town. Uh, we've gotten together and plotted to take over the world, but then also gotten together to just kind of catch up. Our families are something we often talk about, our faith we share. Uh, but I'm excited to have Paul here. I think he's going to have a lot of insight for us about not just uh, growing as a father and a growing family with teenagers, uh, but then also uh, just applying those things uh, as he's gone from military to a financial advising life. Uh, so, Paul, thanks so much. Welcome to the show. Gordon, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here, and uh, you're definitely kind in your introduction uh, <laughs> of me. Uh, yeah, I, I, you are right. I, I, I like to, you know, label myself a father first, right, uh, right. father, uh, and and that I will say is is probably the, the common theme in my life and major decisions and everything that I've done, and I'm sure we'll talk about it as the as our time here goes on today. Um, my family is a priority in my life. It, it always has been, and and always will be uh, that you know, mirrored with my faith and, and, and driving the, the decision process for me. Uh, I've had huge opportunities and, and grace in life. And I, I, I feel blessed to be where I am today, uh, to be part of the community here in Fredericksburg, to have great friends, uh, great neighbors, um, and, and to have had the life experiences I've had to, to be able to grow along the way. Uh, and, and, you know, to be where I am today. And, and I'm excited for what the future can bring. You know, I feel that I've at at the point where I am in life, I've I've seen and done a number of things, and I I think there's so much opportunity in the future to see and do even more. And so yeah. I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. Now, Paul, you and I met uh, two years ago, probably yeah. uh, when we started a little organization called MC Two, which is just about uh, it was an educational networking group which exists at a very small form compared to this pre-COVID when you could put. 20 people in a room and, and everyone's super safe and super comfortable at that point in time. Now, were you just getting into financial planning at that point in time? Was that just the very beginning for your so, career? So that transition had just occurred for me. I had, um, so to, to back up and you, you mentioned it uh, for me. So I was coming out of college, went directly into the military. It's okay. uh, something that I, college for? so college for me was Virginia Military Institute. Okay. All right. So, so you, that, you were destined for the military. Yeah, gotcha. I was destined. Okay. And, uh, and, while he didn't push me in that direction, I grew up in a, in a Marine Corps family. Okay. Uh, so my, my father is a retired Marine. 
Uh, it's what I had known my entire life. And so there, it's, it seemed a logical choice for me. And, and I'll share with you, um, from the time I was a kid, and, and I have to take my, my, my dad at his word because, you know, he, I don't remember this point in time, but he said from, from, I think I was like somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half, three years old was the first time he took me to an air show. Okay. Okay. And, uh, Denver's Blue Angels. Oh no, this was, I think a combination of everything. So I don't okay. remember the air show itself, but so on the flight line, there's aircraft you could, you know, walk around and see and touch. And, and, uh, he put me in the cockpit of a, of a helicopter. And he said, from that moment, I always had this desire to, to fly. Okay. And so, you know, growing up in a Marine Corps family, wanting to fly, uh, it just kind of seemed like a logical choice that I'd be going into the military myself. Cause where else, where else would you want to uh, go to fly? So, you know, I, Graduated high school and uh, went to went to DMI. Had a, a couple of friends from my high school that also the, the oh, three of us okay. went there together. And uh, graduated, you know, was you know received my commission. And after uh, as part of receiving my commission, was uh, granted an air contract. Okay. So that sent me on my path to be doing exactly what I wanted to do from the time I was a kid. So I I happily share with people. I'm probably one of the rare folks in the world that you will meet that can tell you that I have done as an adult what I dreamed of doing as a child, oh, which was pretty cool uh, to be able to say, hey, I served in the military and I flew, uh, in this case for me, it was helicopters. And uh, so, yeah, I graduated college, joined the Marine Corps, uh, went, uh, went down to Pensacola for flight school, uh, came out of flight school, and uh, I selected CH-53s. That was my, my, my platform. And so I learned that was maybe one of my first lessons in the book. Well, I'd say I learned lessons before then, but an, an interesting lesson in just in life in that, you know, when you, you, you may think you want to do something in particular, right? You may have a particular, in this case, as a, as a pilot, you may have a platform in mind. You want to fly like I've got to do this, that, or the other. Uh, but sometimes the bigger picture is, is maybe more where you need to focus okay. and, and maybe a little less in the individual details. And so we'll, the, through flight school, what I learned, and I had some senior instructors that told me, you will love what you do as long as you're flying. So pick the community of people you want to be around more so the, than the aircraft that you think you want to fly. Interesting. <laughs> because at the end of the day, every helicopter is fun to fly. Okay. Okay. Right. And, and so if you think about it, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I took that advice. And while I was in flight school, I resonated with the instructors that happened to be C-53 pilots. And okay. that was quite frankly, the reason I chose to go 53s. And it makes sense if you think about it, uh, because these are the, the world is a people driven place. Mm-hmm. It's relationship driven. Uh, that is what, you know, carries you forward in so many things that you do. And so to position yourself to be around people that resonate with you kind of leads you down that, I think it's your first step down that path towards finding your success. Um, And so I was, I was, you know, again, blessed the Marine Corps, you know, allowed me to go to the community that I thought would be the right fit for me. And, and well, and I'm still a reservist today. So, um, you know, I can look back and say, I'm really glad with what I, with that first step down that path. Um, the 53 is a phenomenal aircraft. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing when you're at flight school, you have no idea what you're picking, right? Right. Because right. <laughs> you've never flown any of the options. Right. right. We, we fly a training aircraft in flight school. 
So you're guessing what you think is going to be the thing you like to fly the best. So it kind of makes sense to go after the, to make your decision based on relationships and people, maybe more so than individual platform. And, and that worked for me. So knowing that you resonated with the instructors, was that your pathway? You wanted to be an instructor? It wasn't that I wanted, no, it was more just the, um, the personalities. And okay. it's interesting, um, you know, I think every organization has a personality. Mm -hmm. uh, I know organizationally the Marine Corps has a personality, oh, sure. which is distinct from other services. Uh, I mean, you can go bigger than that. You know, DOD, our military force has a personality. It's unique unto itself amongst, right. you know, the population of our country. And then each service has its own nuanced uh, mm -hmm. elements of personality. And I think they exist. And then as you dive down into each service, the communities within each service yet again have more subtle nuances and within personality. So it wasn't that I wanted to be an instructor, which I did end up becoming one, sure, by the way, sure, uh, yeah. <laughs> later, later down the path. But um, it was, I enjoyed being around them. And it's not that I didn't enjoy being around the other instructors. It was just, there were subtle cues, mm -hmm. subtle pieces that uh, in, in the course of, of briefing with them and flying with them and debriefing that, you know, it's like, I think, I think I like to be around, you know, these folks, mm -hmm. you know, better than the others per se. Uh, and, you know, and, but to be quite honest, I'm sure had I picked a different community, a different platform, I'd probably feel the same way. Yeah. You know, so uh, not a pilot, not myself, none of those things, my brother's Air Force, I think I'm sure those would be the same. F-16 guy, it was just his thing, jet, jet, jet. But uh, when I think about helicopters, um, you know, the only image I have is from movies, whatever the case. I'm actually reading a novel right now um, called The Apollo Murders. And it's this story about uh, some of the machinations between America and Russia during the Apollo 18. Mm -hmm. And one of the early scenes is a detailed helicopter crash. Okay. Like it goes into like, like literally what the, uh, the rotors are doing and how it's failing. It, the impression of a helicopter is like, there's no recovery. You know, like it, when it just starts spinning, you know, you get made this idea that you can land a jet or land a plane, you know, but it, the impression that's always given is that a helicopter goes down, there's no, or, or there's a problem, you don't recover. It just starts spinning 360 and you crash. Uh, it, it's just the image that I mean. It, I mean, prayerfully, hopefully, you've never been the part of a crash. But uh, when, when you're looking at a helicopter, my impression is like it's more dangerous than you imagine to fly a helicopter. It would be my takeaway. So I'd say that is fair, but maybe a little bit more dire than the yeah. reality. Sure, sure. Uh, a civilian's <laughs> take on a helicopter crash. The, yeah. uh, so, so you know, just kind of tongue in cheek, you know, we, we would say, Hey, when you strap on a, when you strap on the helicopter, you get your seat and you strap in, you're in it to win it. Mm -hmm. that, like, okay. it's not like, yeah, yes, with fixed wing aircraft, that most of them have ejection seats, mm -hmm. you know, if something goes horribly wrong, you know, you, there is a, a potential and, you know, nothing's guaranteed, right? Right. right? right. Everything, there's, there's elements of chance everywhere, but you know, if something happens in a helicopter here, you're in that helicopter until you reject earth. Right. You know, right. Where, right. And, and the actions that you take in those moments are going to be um, critical for the outcome. You know, right. uh, I can say I, again, I told you I was blessed before. I'm definitely blessed. I have had things happen to me in a helicopter. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I don't know that this particular conversation sure, sure. details yeah, to go into some happen. of those. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, there's absolutely been things that I've experienced where the, there was a need for me to act in the proper way. Proper is, I, I want to say in this case, a loose term because it's a very dynamic environment. So when things go wrong in a helicopter, they'll go wrong in multiple places, if you will. And so you have to be able to continue to fly while you're identifying what's wrong, applying whatever corrective measures you have available to you to bring yourself to an end result that effectively lets you live. Gotcha. And Sounds a little bit like parenting, but we had to... It is. Yeah, a little bit like parenting. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think parenting's hard. <laughs> but um, but <clears throat> no, I have, I have lived through things. Uh, I've seen uh, certain action, you know, I, I, I've had my fair share of emergencies. I don't think you'll ever talk to a helicopter pilot that's never had an emergency. Sure. I, maybe I guess the best equation I could say that I've heard, um, I've heard people that ride motorcycles say it's not if you'll put your bike down, it's when. Mm -hmm. So probably the same thing if you're flying helicopters, it's not if you'll have an emergency, it's when. Sure. They're coming. Um, and it, it's, it's, but that gets into why it's so critically important to have, um, professional training to have to be professionals in your craft i think like anything you do in life you have to be a professional in your craft whether it's um as a marine helicopter pilot in my case um i know for you you were a pastor before uh where you are now um being a uh, someone in in the marketing and and business world no matter where you are in life you have to be a professional in your craft and you have to, not because it's a life and death situation, but because if you're not a professional in your craft, there's no chance for you to be successful uh, in, in that endeavor. So let me ask you a question on that. Uh, I was at a, uh, a chamber meeting that was about uh, intergenerational relationships in the workplace. Sure. Uh, so all the way from the, the oldest generation, you know, the greatest generation, all the way down to what we have now, which would be Gen Z, and, and they were defining some of those characteristics. All the people at the, on the board were 35 and 40. Okay. So I identified, um, you know, the, the latest generation to kind of take leadership, right? And uh, and they were talking about the identifiers. What, what's the value to them? So, so we're, we're flexibility, you know, we're home, those kind of things. But the conversation of professionalism came up. And so I just, you know, gently raised my hand and I was like, I don't disagree, but... Now we're at the point where, general, where professionalism is very difficult to, to define. So would you guys, as representative of, you know, uh, a generation, define that for me? Because old school professionalism would be, could be too high. Right. Um, obviously, you know, showing a part of time, showing the work on time, hard work. Those things all of a sudden become a little bit fluid. So with your backgrounds, as military, you know, where you are presently, uh, your emphasis just a minute ago of professionalism is a bit subjective. How do you define that? How, how are you going to define professionalism? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So now we're entering into the world of the harder questions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. All right. That's fair. That's fair. So I think, um, and so I guess if we're talking generationally, um, which is, I think the, the, uh, perspective of generations in the workplace is actually really interesting. It's, it's that in and of itself is a pretty cool conversation. And when you, you, know, you think about 
you said the greatest generation mm -hmm. beyond the greatest generation they had the baby boomers right that's that's for me that's my pants right the right. baby boomer generation i um i happen to fall at the tail end of gen x right right, right. that's that's where my age happens to exist and those 35 the, you know, to 40 year olds, those are the very beginnings of the millennials, right? right. That's, exactly. that's the, the, millennials the cusp of, uh, of millennials. And I, I've always found it interesting when you talk to, um, as a, as a Gen Xer, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to, to put my air quotes on, that, sure. um, interacting and working with, um, baby boomer generation that before me, right. And their, their approach to things. And then the mentality and perspective of the the millennial generation, and you know, we're I'm probably guilty of it as well. Just the 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 differing opinion of what makes professionalism, mm -hmm. right? As an example, we use the, you know that word, but just the differing perspective and placement of what's important and not important mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the execution and and, um, and daily work. And and I'll say, I'm, a, I'm you know probably a longer answer for you than than everything. It's it's an interesting exercise in leadership, right? And 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 leadership understanding and managing people and, and being able to build them to to their strengths and and how you can bring forth the strength of people to, to make your organization better um the the the, the phrase um the whole is greater than the sum of the parts right so when you get that synergy of an organization it's the capability that it has is huge um, but you have to understand what you're working with. You have to understand what's driving the people that you're working with to achieve and, and get to those goals. And, and you know, less, lessons learned through different aspects of time in, in my Marine Corps career, you know, whether I was a, a, you know, a young lieutenant growing and learning all the way up until when the Marine Corps, you know, granted me the opportunity to command a squadron, you know, to, to see all the different parts and places and, and whatnot uh, has just been phenomenal. But for me, professionalism, you know, with that baseline, I think there's multiple um, elements to it. Mm -hmm. So for me, there's a foundational element. You touched on it when you said, hey, what are you wearing? Are you on time? If, to me, that is not so much professionalism, but that's just the baseline to get in the door, mm -hmm. right? right. <clears throat> and maybe that's a generational thing. Maybe that's a little bit of what I, you know, what, what I was taught. I'll, I'll tell you, my father used to tell me, that the way you dress is an outward sign of the respect you have for the person you're interacting with, okay. right? So if you show up disheveled, right? I say disheveled. So maybe, maybe you show up in jeans and a t-shirt. That's you telling that person, I, you, my respect for you is lower than if I showed up in a suit and tie. Right. That's like a subtle cue. Now, granted, that's a baby boomer generation mentality. I bet I'd be willing to bet that if you talk to a millennial or younger, they would completely disagree with that Probably statement. So, no, that's absolutely not true. Right. But that's that's where you start getting into that generational perspective of what makes professional professionalism and what doesn't. So for me, where I am, yeah, the the foundational elements are, you know, and yes, I'm for your your podcast, they can't see how I'm dressed, but yeah, I have a suit on. I, I neglected the tie for the day, but, right. yeah. but I'm still wearing a suit for the day, right? Um, I just think it's appropriate attire, you know, mm -hmm. for, for work. Showing up on time, that, that's kind of a non <laughs> like, that, right. That's like, in, in fact, as a Marine, yeah, if you're on time, you're late. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so, no, like being on time, being present, being, being prepared, 
you know, for whatever the event is, those are foundational elements of professionalism. Um, for me, what I was talking to with uh, aviation and, and flying specifically, and then it cascades into, I think, everything else you do. Professionalism starts to, starts becoming, um, it, it's an outward presentation of your, um, try to kind of think of the right words, your capacity, the, your preparedness, your knowledge base, all of the things that make you good at your job. Right. And that's not to say that if you're, you know, I, I don't want to come across as harsh and, and say if you're not good at your job, you're not a professional, but at the same time, if you're not good at your job, how can you be considered a professional? Right? Sure. Um, and, and so look at it from athletics, mm -hmm. right? And this is why I think your proficiency and your capacity to execute the, um, the task that is directly tied to success or failure in your given profession. Um, that is your, that is professionalism. So what do we call athletes at the highest level? Professionals, professionals, right? Professional because they are the best mm -hmm. at executing the task that relates to what, you know, what they do. So why wouldn't that then be the same way we define professionalism in the workplace? If you're a professional, you're the best. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, uh, there's a lot to talk about there because um, uh, personal expression has become as much of a value in the workplace as uh, uh, respect of someone else, right? And so, you know, some folks would say, well, my, these are $120 pair of jeans and a $70 white t-shirt and, and I'm wearing, you know, Gucci tennis shoes, incredibly neat, right? I mean, incredibly neat. And then you're asking yourself, you know, all of a sudden there's a, uh, the, 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 the meeting place of those ideas, uh, it kind of comes down to, uh, well, what is the dynamic that's being created by the leader mm -hmm. is going to have to be, you know, the, the thing for that, right? It's going to have to be that setting the place for, for what's allowed or not, right? Sure. So I mean, I know that, uh, you know, personally, you know, it was about eight or 10 years ago, someone described me as disheveled casual. And I, I didn't dress her. I mean, I, uh, you know, I was very jeans, you know, untucked t-shirt, uh, untucked dress shirt, which is to some extent fine in certain things. But since launching Capitalize, I was like, you know what? I mean, I made a determined choice. I went, you know, today I've got dress pants, dress shirt, but, and a sweater on because it's going to be the 50s. And so if I had a, uh, maybe a more of a contextual professional meeting, I'd have a sport coat on, right? Yep. Um, you know, but for me, I'll interject, you know, my thoughts you know, Bill Ellis, well, not Bill, Bill Parcells always said, early is on time, long time's late, late you're fired, right? That was his, which sounds some militaristic on that, right? Um, I think now I, I, I word it as, and I'm always five minutes early, guys, what I was trying to do. I think more professional to some extent, I would define it as like a mutual respect of time. Yeah. So like professional to me, I'm saying, well, then respect your time, respect my time. That, that might look a little bit different in different scenarios, but professionalism, like, do you respect, do you res have a respect for everyone's time in the room, right? right. Um, you know, what, what's professional dress? It gets a lot harder. So lately I've just reduced it to just don't look like a clown. Well, <laughs> I don't mean that bad, but then again, uh, what's that, right? I mean, yeah. it, you, uh, are you trying to represent yourself? Are you trying to attract people? Well, I would say, what are you trying to do? If I could, it's a little bit of know your audience. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Do you care about so, your audience? So, um, 
you, I think it, it, we all wear many hats, right? We mm -hmm. all do different things, but you have to know your audience. And so, you know, if, if I'm going to have a meeting with, um, and someone from, you know, since we're talking generationally, if I'm going to have a meeting with someone from an older generation or, or a particular business, uh, um, category or, you know, what have you, I'm going to wear a suit, right. tie everything right. It's all right. on because that in their, uh, from their position, right. And, and uh, perspective is reality, you know, mm -hmm. for instance, in their perspective, the appropriate professional attire is suit tie. That's right. That's right. In other scenarios, it is completely acceptable for me to be wearing jeans and open collar, maybe throw on a sports coat. In fact, that's more appreciated than if I show up in a suit and tie. Right. And so an element of that professionalism is know your audience. Very much so. And adapt to them, you know, for, for that space. And, and, and I think if you do that, you know, you're, you're going to find success. And, and I kind of want to throw, throw back at you because, you know, something that um, I don't want to say I, I – something that I employed as a leader. Um, and I absolutely to my core believe to be true when you're dealing with organizations and you talk about, you know, you're talking about the young person in jeans and a t-shirt, but this is, you know, in Gucci shoes and, and, and all this, that, and the other. Um, when you're leading people, you know, there's, everyone has different leadership styles. And I espouse to maybe a little more, more of an open leadership style uh, and inclusivity uh, type uh, and, which maybe may or may not be like standard military. You know, I, I do not believe that um, there's a time and a place for directive leadership, but leadership where people buy in and take to heart the mission and the intent brings forth better results. And so um, what I found is when you give trust and you provide intent, you provide where your vision of, of good is is going, if you will, the big blue arrows, you know, for, yeah. for a phrase. And then you allow your people to find the path there without you telling them how to do it. You will be blown away by the result. Mm -hmm. And so that goes directly to that younger, you know, when we start looking at generationally, which is why I, I resist the idea of judging because of appearance, one generation advice another, until you allow that person to show you their, what they're able to do, how can you determine where they are, you know, based on, in this case, their parents. And I know that maybe a little bit of a contradiction to what I said earlier, but, but allowing people to give you the best result that they can give you in many, many cases will blow you away. I think so. Uh, you know, I asked myself, um, let's say I was younger and, you know, my goal was to present myself however I wanted to present myself, which is pro probably the goal of, of some people in the workforce at one time. In the landscape that I see it now, a couple of things are going to happen. Um, well, the only way you can do that is, is to be your own boss. Um, like to just have complete freedom about your appearance. Because if you're if you're employed by someone, typically there's some there's some some guardrails in there somewhere. Which is uh, so uh, great, fantastic. So let's say you have a skill set that does that. Your ability to grow is going to be dependent upon your skills. 
Like if you want absolute freedom, then you're gonna have to be amazing in what you do. Or, or build an amazing company where you get that final say. Right. But otherwise, it, it's going to be limited to, to some extent. If your goal is to just, I, I want to present myself 100% the way I want to do it. Well, the beautiful thing about free market economy is you can do that. You can, you know, go get the clients that are going to say, I don't care one bit what you look like, just produce. Um, then, I mean, but ultimately the free market economy decides, well, I'll employ you or I'll not employ you. So when you look at a, a, a Google type environment, I don't think Google is as free as people think it is. Um, ultimately, you know, you can look however you want to look as long as you produce. But at some point in time, you go into a room where someone asks you or, or, or lets you know you really need to, to look this way. When I'm consulting with eye doctors, I trust one of two ways. If I'm in a franchise or with a bit older, it's always suit and tie. I don't have to do that. It's always suit and tie, though. Um, but if I'm in a, a, an eye doctor who has a real, like, we're real fashion for it. We really carry, we really carry frames. You know, we got thousand dollar frames, you know, a, a boutique, if you will. Then I'm still wearing a sport coat. I'm probably just not wearing a tie. You know what I'm saying? But for me, it's always contextually, like, what are they, what are they looking, like, what are they looking for me to me to earn their voice? But it was always one of the two. But if I was in an older uh, practice, it's always suit and tie. It's always suit and tie. Well, you're you're understanding your client, and you're presenting to them what's in their value set. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm not. I don't want to create a, a barrier. Right. That I don't want to create anything that I have to overcome, no matter how talented I am at this point in time. Uh, yeah, I mentioned to you we have a we have a couple of contract employees in, in, uh, locally, and I don't have to see them. I, in fact, I see our main contract employee about once a month. And I've told this employee, in, in our setting, like, I don't care. It's just going to be the two of us sitting down in a conference room looking over your work. Um, but if we were out, I would probably tell my employee, you know, if we're representing the company, I would probably say, hey, I need, I need this from you. And I, I don't think they would care. But that employee's in a situation where they're able to work from home 100%. And they can they can do what they want, but yeah, it's interesting. Excuse me, that professionalism is becoming a moving target. It is. It, it, yeah, it's been, and I think it's going to be more of a cataclysm as uh, Gen Z finds itself into the marketplace. And then all of a sudden, we all worked at home for a year. Uh, how does that affect you know workplace professionalism? I think that caused a rapid shift. You know, not maybe not necessarily professionalism, just in terms of um, expectation of, you know, for appearance purposes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I've talked to different people in that space, the, the work from home, the telework, I, I think, you know, if we're going to claim a, as and this is really hard to say a good that came of COVID, mm -hmm. you know, which sure. is like, you know, so I don't, I don't want to come across in the wrong you way. Gotta right? find, you got to find, you gotta good find good, right? Um, I think the adaptation we made, so, you know, some people will disagree, obviously, but the adaptation we made and the willingness to lean into di um, dis um, distributed workspace environments mm -hmm. um, has the ability to 
to really be productive moving forward. Uh, in that, um, and that's not to say like we went a hundred percent that you know the pendulum swung a hundred percent virtual, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas before, and I can say this so for me. Uh, in my experience, the pendulum was not 100% in person, but it was really, really close. Mm -hmm. And so we went from 100% in person virtually to almost 100% digital virtual right. workspace. And we are slowly coming back. And what I think is going to be a positive, and, and it, it allows for a little bit of that moving target when you're talking about professionalism, is, is where are we in the in-between, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I, I think people can be extremely productive regardless of the clothes that are on their body. Certainly. And in fact, they might be more productive if they're in an environment that they're comfortable and relaxed and just able to get to it, mm -hmm. you know? And, but then, then you have to, I, get, I think there's going to be a learned element, right? When you're, when you're working from home and you're sitting at home and, you know, comfortable clothing, whatever that is for you. Right. Then you're in your computer and you're doing your thing and you're productive and you're, and you're churning out. Let's be honest with ourselves. Most people I know that transition from going to the office to working from home, they actually worked more hours a day when they went to working from home because they didn't lose the time to commute. Sure. That makes sense. You know, they were able to get up, make their coffee, start their breakfast. They turn their computer on and they start working. Mm -hmm. Now maybe they pause and take a break and go back and forth. But then, like you'd also notice, the last email of the day was way later in the day because it's right there with them. And right, they're willing right. to just, hey, I'm going to get back on one more time to check to see what's going on, right? Right. Um, whereas when you're working in the office, you're you're confined. You're, you're going to put in your time from the time you get in to the time you get out. And, right. and, and that's, that's that. So there's an opportunity for a huge productivity, you know, in that space. But you also... I don't think you can take away the value of, of in office work. I think right. the, the teaming aspects, I think the ability to um, grow, grow together organizationally, I think the in office or in person part is critically important. So I, I'm hopeful that the outcome of COVID from a, from a professional work experience is going to be this hybrid mm -hmm. where we allow people a lot of flexibility to magnify the good and productivity that can come from working where you want to work, yeah. uh, but also not lose the human touch, mm -hmm. not lose that ability to come together. Because I think that is really important. Well, let me let me take conversation a bit of a shift. I mean, when you talk about productivity, uh, professionalism, but you also talk about connectivity, you just mentioned. Uh, when you were in the military, who was the leader? That exemplified that for you. That person you could say, uh, this 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 person could have been male or female, uh, was the leader, brought together the team better than anyone else. Like exemplify what it meant to be. Do you have that person you can think of? Like this was the this was your goal, like this is the person who inspired me the most, something along those lines. Do you have that person? Well, I gosh, I, I think when you're like you're looking at the idea of uh, mentors heroes like that that type of mm -hmm. space um i think I've, I've had the blessing of being exposed to some phenomenal leaders mm -hmm. um in, in my time um and i admit i'm a little bit reluctant to go name by name through all of them so sure. i don't, don't want to miss one <laughs> you know right. for for lack of of uh you know 
you know, just, just not missing, but I, there's a few that I would love to, to say. So right up front, I might, I mean, I don't, at the risk of being cliche, my dad is still, he has my whole life and he's always been, you know, that I have always looked up to him. I've always respected his opinion. I, we still talk regularly. Cool. And anytime that I'm working through challenges, he, he's, he's the go-to for me and mm-hmm. has been for my, really my entire life. Um, and quite frankly, I mean, you know, for me, when I look at, you know, success and achievement, I mean, he, he has been, I mean, one, I mean, he's my father, so I'm going to mm-hmm. automatically think well of him. Um, you know, he, this, so bad with numbers, he, he and my mother are, are coming up on, uh, I want to say they're at 46 years of marriage now. Okay. Okay. Uh, 45, 46 years of marriage. I should be better. Hopefully he won't hear me not know that. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, so they've been married, um, three children, um, Jennifer and Mary, my two sisters, um, and myself, uh, have all, I will say we are all successful in life. Uh, and I said, successful in life is more than just being successful in a career. Um, we are all married unto ourselves, are part of our communities, are, we, we engage with each other. You know, we, we, we maintain things that I think are just important. Um, and yes, we're all, you know, have been able to achieve success in whatever it means in, in our various careers. Um, and, and then for, from a, from a career standpoint, father's a retired two-star Marine Corps general. Right. So, right, right. Um, you know, if you want to get into, you know, achieving levels of success, quite frankly, he achieved a level of success that I don't think I'm ever going to get to. Mm. Uh, I'll just be honest. Like I'm a reservist now, so he stayed active duty and, and he, you know, he was a, he was a general officer in the Marine Corps. Um, I, I don't see that you know, as something that's going to happen, with me, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and, and I'm okay with that because my path is different, right? right? right. Everyone's on a different path, but you know, when I look at it from a, from a understanding leadership, you know, growth and organizational direction, and, and then he's had an entire career past the recall. Um, but you know, he's, he's the main person I look to in, right. in all honesty. Um, I've had, um, exposure to, you know, I, I will say, you know, different points in time in my career um, to people that, you know, gave me lessons in that, that were truly valued. Uh, so if I would, you know, I guess if I go backward, you know, in time uh, before I became, you know, before I transitioned out of government, so you, didn't, you alluded to it uh, to a degree. So I, I was active duty military until about 2009, um, at which time I left active duty transitioned to the reserves. Then I went to work for the federal government as a civilian. Uh, so I had a lot of great people that I worked with in the federal government as a civilian. Uh, I'm going to touch on um, when I was in the Pentagon, working in the Pentagon, uh, doing acquisition work, I worked for uh, two different senior executives, uh, both for phenomenal um, people. And they, what they, the lesson that I took when I was in the Pentagon that I truly appreciated and I definitely uh, apply today the ability to trust your people, uh, perhaps beyond their grade, if okay. you will, right? Yeah. Um, because grade doesn't necessarily always um, dictate capability. Okay. Uh, I was granted the opportunity to be engaged in 
processes and procedures that were, you know, typically I'd be the most junior person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I had the trust of my senior executive to act and do. And, and when I bring information to them, they would ask me, they, they, they wanted my opinion. Mm -hmm. They wanted what, what do you think? And, and it, to the point where I could bring stuff and they would say, is this good? You know, and they want to read it. Like, and they'd ask me like, this is, you know, they wanted my honest opinion and they acted on my opinion and that showed a trust in me, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, so I think trust, you know, that that's a critically important element of leadership to trust your people, because when you show them that you trust them, the lengths that they will go to, to achieve the things that you're trying to achieve grow exponentially. So um, let's talk about that in transition for you. Cause I mean, that makes complete sense for me. Uh, if you're in the military, right. Uh, you, you had people under you and you were training them. You were hoping to, to set that mark beyond their grade. Like, you know, it sounds like that was the leadership style that you appreciated. Mm -hmm. Then you were DOD, right? And so, and then you're junior in the room, but they're giving you responsibilities and allowing your voice to maybe go beyond your experience. Mm -hmm. But now, I'm sure there's a team in financial planning, but a heck of a lot less of a team my perspective in what you're doing. So I will say the world I exist in now is very different mm -hmm. from your government and military uh, world. Uh, leadership still definitely matters. Mm -hmm. um, I, I will say it's a little bit less of a teaming kind of environment, a little bit more of a um, maybe like individual coaching, if you will. Okay. okay. Um, and the, the, I, I think your the focus is, is different, right? So for me, I've always been someone that drives to, uh, I will say I have a heart of service. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be in the military because I wanted to serve our country. I went into federal, I became a federal civilian because it gave me an opportunity to be, continue to be part of something bigger than me, right? Uh, still part of the service of the country. Uh, when I transitioned out of federal government to where I am now, um, there was honestly a couple of things at play. So at the very you know beginning, I told you, hey, first first thing that I describe myself as as father, and that those things drive my decision making. So um, one of the biggest decisions for me to transition to the private sector, uh, and you were you touched on it earlier too, when you talked about control, mm -hmm. you know, um, was I was looking. I wanted to be in a place where I could consciously choose to put my family first. Right. Okay. okay. And the world of um, the world of financial advising allows me the ability to to be present and and I will say have that control over my my schedule, if you will. You know, I can I can set my schedule. I can do certain things uh, to make sure that I'm available for you know for my wife and kids. That's just something that's really important. Sure. Um, now, granted, it's if you're going to be a professional, you have to um, you yeah. have to be available Time's for your clients. Be, yeah, you have yeah, to be available yeah. for your clients too. Um, but the you know the other driving part uh, for me to, to be where I am today was the desire. The desire to serve is still there. So it's a, a unique opportunity where you have the ability to engage with clients on a 
one-to-one -one basis and make a difference, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in their lives and, and engage and make a difference in your local community. Uh, as opposed to like before with military and government, I, you know, it was like a bigger, like a bigger picture, like the, you know, engaging with, you know, DOD, right? Now my, my focus gets to be a little bit closer to home and engaging with people, uh, with friends and neighbors and other, other folks in the community and help make a difference for them. Um, you know, it's interesting that, so I, I don't know where this question is going to go, I mean, but, uh, you know, you, when athletes, you know, decide to retire, that's the first thing they say, right? It's like, well, I'm really looking forward to spending time, you know, with my family. And, and that will probably be the only thing that ever stops Tom Brady, right? I mean, like, at some point, I'm just going to say, I need to spend more time with my family. Maybe. Sure. Sure. I, I don't know. He <laughs> seems to... But most of them, most of them in that moment are like, I am looking forward to everybody from, you know, Kobe Bryant all the way down to Michael Jordan. Like, I'm really looking forward to spending more time with my family. Right? Sure. So, uh, and one of the things I relate to with you is you and I are both in that spot. So yours was military uh, to DOD, but now, you know, into some extent, you're an entrepreneur building your own business, you know, but you wanted that flexibility. Same choice that I had to make last year when I was like, I love ministry, I love what I'm able to do. I want that to look different. I like to have the flexibility. So it, it's, and then we'll tie this into the generational thing. It seems as if up to this point, there's an establishment of self and professionalism and career that has seemed to be necessary to earn the flexibility to then be able to grow and provide for your family with that flexibility. And it'll be interesting to see what the transition is in the professional landscape when people begin that way. Because this, I mean, uh, one of the hallmarks of the millennial Y and, and Z generations is, is flexibility, um, at least according to what they have told me. <laughs> right. Um, so they're starting with flexibility. And it'll be interesting to see, will the professional world mold to that? Or will that system just collapse and say, no, it doesn't work that way. If you want the, if you want the lifestyle, or if you want to provide for your family, you've got to grunt it out for 15 years or whatever the number is to then put yourself in a situation where you have the flexibility for your family. I mean, for me, that's, I mean, that's what I had to do, right? I mean, yeah. I, I spent those years, you know, 15 years planting churches. It's what I wanted to do. But then one of the hallmarks last year was like, I want, I want flexibility for my family to be a little bit different. So I think, um, I think where you and I came from, Felt so. So tell me if you agree with this. Okay. I'm curious. I almost felt like I had to earn it, right? The flexibility, right? Uh -huh. I had to put in the time and the energy. I had to earn. I couldn't come in day one and say I want flexibility. Right, right, right. I had to build the the basis from which to now claim that mm -hmm. I think I now rate a little bit of like I. I it's almost like money in the bank, right? I put in the money in the bank. Now I want to, I want to draw on that money in the bank. Um, and, and I, I, I believe in some ways that's, you know, you know, the mentality of work hard, work hard, work hard to get to the point where you now can mm -hmm. do these other things. And, and I believe what you're saying is the younger generations, they kind of want both up front. Mm -hmm. They want the, 
flexibility. They want the good. Um, but what I would say, and I think you and I are both living it, I haven't heard them say they're not willing to work. Right, right. They just want the model to be different than what we set out on. And and I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to straddle the line here. Okay. okay. I'm going to straddle the line. Um, I think, I don't think there's a right answer, mm-hmm. but I think both can work. And I think you and I are examples of that. So if you think about it, we made career changes at, yes, we had a, we had an established career where we were successful in our own rights and our established careers. The movement from where we came to where we went, they're completely different, mm-hmm. right? So you have, I would say the one difference between you and myself and the younger, like the 20 something year olds, we have a lifetime of experience from which to draw. Right, right, right. When we're making decisions. Right. Okay. But the requirement to work hard is no different. So if you think about it, where you and I are today is not too far away from where that younger person is that wants that flexibility. Right. They, and, and, and I think... Uh, because I, I've seen what you've been able to do over the last year with Capitalize, mm-hmm. um, which is impressive. And, and there is a balance that can be found where you can both work hard and have flexibility. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe, you know, maybe I'm wrong, so I'll throw it back to you. I think that's where people are look, what, what people are looking for. I don't believe that the younger folks are trying to not work. No, I agree. I, agree. I think I agree. they're absolutely ready and willing to work, but the way they work is different. So to me, that cascades back around to leaders, right? Mm-hmm. How can you as a leader position that person for success, right? Um, because that to me is the one as a cornerstone of leadership, right? My priority, you know, when I was military government, and, and yes, you hit the nail, like, being in the, in the financial sector is a little bit completely different animal. But as a leader, my number one responsibility in my mind was to my people, right? right? right. To, and I would say it's, it's laying the playing field that allowed them to achieve, okay. right? right? Because in my mind, you as a single person, you as that single leader, you do not achieve success for your organization. People achieve the right. success of the organization. You lay the groundwork that allow them to achieve. Mm-hmm. So, um, so circling back to the the younger generation with the desire for flexibility, it's critically important that leadership today understands what is driving the younger generation because they're not asking to not work; they're asking to work in a different way. That's right. And if you can wrap your mind around that position the playing field that allows them to achieve your organization is going to grow exponentially i think so i think i think next time we have this conversation we, we need to join ourselves with another generation yeah so uh to so that we make sure we're representing well <laughs> uh you know when i hear you um i mean <clears throat> pastoring had a ton of flexibility sure in terms of my day but there's also some absolute rigidity uh, built in with social expectation that creates uh, an environment that makes uh, it a challenge. 
when I look at the flexibility I have now, which is something I, I move towards, mm -hmm. the irony is that my flexibility is created, like the way I approach it, my flexibility is 100% created by discipline. Now that sounds contradictory when you hear it, that discipline and flexibility, but my flexibility is created because I create the moments and set aside the moments to do certain things so that I have the flexibility. It, there is maybe a third way. I just don't know it. And, and, I, and, I, and I want to learn it. But for me, I know that, I mean, you have talked about this, you know, if you're going to work out, it, it doesn't happen by accident. You know, if, if you're going to be free for a two o'clock thing for your kids, what only happens if the requirements are put aside, you know, and this is no different than anybody else, but like Friday, all of a sudden my Friday became wide open this past Friday. I had a 3.30 meeting that I had 100% flexibility to reschedule if I wanted to. It was a Friday. And I worked all day long on Friday. I'm not, I just needed to. I mean, I, I was practically alone from 8 until 5.30. So that then I knew I'm going all day long Saturday with my kids. And I don't want to think about anything except for band competition. You know what I'm saying? And, and knowing what this week looked like, it was, for me, I don't know how to create flexibility other than rigidity and discipline in the other times. But then I get to enjoy the flexibility, you know, because I've had that. And that's what I'd love to, I'd love to hear that. You know, the, the training and the things I read don't lend towards that at all. It's like, you know, discipline, sweat, organization, you know. And, and, but I'm doing that so that then, you know, if I, if I want to take half off tomorrow, I can take half off tomorrow, as long as I'm keeping my commitments with other people. But I think there's multiple levels there. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'll say it. I agree completely. I, I do not work any less. Right? <laughs> not, if, at if all. not more. Right? That's exactly right. Um, yeah, yeah. And and maybe that is the lesson that will be learned in time by the you know some of the younger generations you know if, if we're going to you know, continue to speak generationally um, and again I don't think they're trying to not work I think that they want their model to look a little bit different right. Um, right I've learned that in order to achieve the flexibility and and you're right like there are it in order to achieve the flexibility you have to have the discipline to do the work when the work needs to be done. Right. Right. right, right. And you have to have the discipline to do the work when it's maybe not fun to do the work or mm -hmm. when you have that open window and you, and you have to start making conscious choices. And so I, I think, I think at the baseline, there's this drive to succeed, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're going to have this underlying underlying engine that says, I want to succeed. And you're going to define for you what success looks like. Right. And so that's another thing that, you know, I mm -hmm. think quite frankly is an entire conversation unto itself, right. defining right. what does success look like. Exactly. Um, and I think that's maybe one of the hard generational elements, right? Uh, success for some people is the dollar figure on their paycheck. Sure. Sure. Right. And those people are going to be driven to be at work as often as they as they need to to make that dollar figure be what it needs to be success for others may be freedom of time and not as much 
the dollar amount on their paycheck and then whatever else happens to fall right. in between. Right. Um, and so I think the first step is being able to honestly tell, honestly look at yourself and determine what does success look like to be for you, right? Really because once you understand what success looks like for you, it starts laying out this groundwork for how do I approach my day, my week, my month, so on and so forth. And so um, I can use myself, for example. I know we're approaching the holiday season. I know as we get closer to the holiday season, I want the time to maneuver you know, in that space. Or I could use last Friday as an example. Last Friday was my daughter's birthday. You know, uh, and it was, I wanted to make sure the limited portions that I had, you know, a, a job to do, if you will, right. associated to her birthday, I wanted to make sure I was available for that. Um, so knowing the marks where you want that time freedom allows you to then plan to make sure that it's available for you. Yeah. And, and I think when we talk flexibility, we're not talking flexibility in less time working, less effort to get to that success. We're talking flexibility and being the one that decides where that time is. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and without someone else saying, without an outside party telling you, no, I know you've got this, but without, the organization without, needs. Right. Without a penalty from someone. Right. Right, right. And, and that really, for me, is the flexibility that I drive for is I want to be the one that decides. When I was pastoring, you've got to deliver, in crassest terms, you got to deliver a product 46 to 48 times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for some, you know, for, for my situation, it was the entire service was written, designed by me. Most of the times I'm doing music, so that means it's being planned. Every, every, every pastor's got a different setup, right? Uh, but mine was an hour and a half product, uh, for lack of a better term, had to be delivered, which was definitely judged, <laughs> good or bad, or whatever the case might be. Impacts, however you want to do it, right? Um, and so when you've got that on top of the other responsibilities, uh, the joke I always made is I don't get to live on the street corner of inspiration. People who live on the street corner of inspiration star. Like I, I couldn't wait for some. I couldn't wait to go. I'm inspired to to write my sermon right now. Uh, so I wrote mine out word for word. I would, I would do a manuscript, and then knew it well enough that I either needed little or no notes. It's just everybody had their own little style, right? So so that's the equivalent of writing one novel a year. It's basically what it was. Um, but when when I had two o'clock on a Thursday free. Like, it didn't matter if I was inspired or not. I mean, because 10, 10 o'clock on Sunday showed up, <laughs> they're looking for me to, to deliver something and not what I said last Christmas, right? Um, but I'm thankful for that because when I, when I know what success looks like and I know what flexibility looks like, then... I'm just going to say, well, then I'm going to sit in the room by myself on Friday between 8 and 5.30 because I know that whether I feel like doing it or not, I've just got to produce, I've got to write. Uh, flexibility for me is I get to drink coffee, I get to dress all I want, I can do it anywhere I want to do, a movie, music, whatever can be in the background. Those are the flexibilities that in that rigidity I got to enjoy because 
I don't know, cut me. You know, that, that I can I can say do it however I want. That that's probably very relatable to any generation. Okay. I mean, yeah, they, they I mean creativity probably in that environment is exactly what's wanted. Um, I think something if we're gonna have to take it up the next time we talk, we're, we're pushing an hour here. Sure. Is uh, like for me, success is is definite. Like it, it's tangible. Like I know what those things look like for me in most every area. And then for me, that has to then be related down to goals and steps and plans. Because success is very re rarely accidental. Right. And then that's something that I'd love to see teenagers, college. I mean, it's something that I think needs to be instructed on whether the model looks the same for everyone or not. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 50. <clears throat> A generation or two prior at 50 were ahead of me, <clears throat> you know, in terms of what they had, where they were, vacation home, you know, those kind of things. And then, you know, generations below me talk about being, you know, not as far ahead as their families. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot you and I need to take up in our next conversation. Because yep. you were you were talking about success and defining success. And, and I, I don't know, I have no idea. I have no idea where folks are with that. Yep. I, I have less conversations around that than I'd like to have. Meaning I, I love those conversations. I, I you know, I... I drive on conversations about what's it look like, you know, where you want to be, you know, those kind of things. But I find it a harder conversation to have these days. It is. And well, I think as we move forward, the definition of success is fungible, right? Well, it, it's 100% subjective, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, like how do you, how do you, you know, my success is not your success. In fact, I, I would, we, we may be a, 85% alive, but there's going to be nuances that are different for me than you. And, and honestly, like take it from an organizational standpoint, you want, a, you want mostly aligned in terms of what you're looking for success for, for a company, but you don't want hundred percent aligned. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because the, in those nuances, you find strength, mm -hmm. right? You find, you know, you find the ability to, to, you know, to really, you know, separate yourself and, and do some some pretty interesting things, uh, I, and I, I, I kind of think it's interesting. You were talking about, you know, uh, what was the phrase you used? You said, um, "On the corner of inspiration." You can't live on the street corner yeah. of inspiration. Yeah. Uh, so, like that's the the phrase that has always resonated with me. And I don't I, I don't know where I was told this originally, but God helps God helps those who help themselves, <laughs> right? You can't just sit idle. And this, I think, leads to the hard work, right? right. The discipline, the hard work that you can have your goal of what you want to see happen, but you can't sit there with your hand out and expect it to be filled, right? Yeah, You've like, got to be willing to put in the time, the effort, the work to get to that point. And there's like this happy medium where things will come together. And, it, it, you know, I think it goes to like we've talked about, you know, building client base. And dude, there, there's the... There's the foundational elements. There's the you know engagements. There's talking to people. Right. There, there's there's aspects of of the work that you do and you do and you do, and then suddenly it happens, right? right. And right. and I think I think those are the lessons that people still need to learn, right? Yeah, yeah. 
were, uh, you know, when you see a movie as easy to take as the founder, if I can keep it in the McDonald's movie, as, uh, as difficult to take as Wolf as Wall Street, which I recommend to know. Um, but both those movies are very similar in terms of people who said, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do to get there. Like for me, that's kind of stuff I could just, you know, or a, a documentary on Theranos uh, on HBO about yep. how that went horribly wrong. Yep. Same thing. For me, that's just that's just a meal. I need to eat that stuff up all day long because I find both the people who went out and achieved it as well as those that went after it really, really hard, but took a shortcut or were deceptive. I find them both fascinating because I just, those stories to me, uh, inspire me, give me an idea, give me one tidbit, you know, uh, a 300 page, a 300 page work that someone's written that I only got to pay $27 for or 19 on Amazon. If I walk away with one thing from that, I'm like, that is well worth the time and money. If that one thing is going to, you know, add to that plan of success or give me a, Mistake to avoid those kind of things, but yeah. man, I hate to end there with my with me speaking last. We're we're an over hour, which I know that I'm I'm, I'm probably testing you and I can probably talk for another plenty of time. So let's do this, Paul. Let's plan in a couple of weeks, yeah. Because we didn't even get into the transition of your career. Sure, uh, we didn't really talk about uh, when I'm here. You talk about um, you know uh, enabling people to go a little bit further than their grade. Uh, I hear a, a massive connection to what financial planning might be. Right. When you're enabling people to do that financially in other ways like that. So if you're up for it, I'd love to come back in a couple of weeks we do this again. Yeah. Right. So I always enjoy talking with you. Good. Uh, good thrilled good. to be here. Uh, hopefully your listeners will uh, appreciate the conversation. Should be fun. And in my encouragement to everyone is if you like it, please like it, share it, uh, throw it out everywhere. Uh, if you're listening to it, whatever you're working on, screenshot it, put it on your stories. Uh, Paul, thanks so much, and let's get back together real quickly. Do you want to point anywhere online for people to find you? Is that something you'd like to do? Uh, for for now, I'm just I'm just honestly happy to have the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Find Paul on LinkedIn. Look for Paul Lee on LinkedIn. He'll be glad to connect with you there. So uh, I'll make that that throw out for him. So, cool. um, uh, and if you can't find him on LinkedIn, message me, and I'll send you his uh, his profile. Guys, thanks so much for listening, and we will be back next week. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Appreciate it.